Indeed, God, it is by your grace that we can participate in your kingdom building through giving not only of our tithes, our offerings, but our service unto you. It is with this spirit that I come this morning as we attempt to look at a subject that's a very touchy subject for some. I pray, God, that you would speak, that you would hide this preacher, that there would be nothing other than your word, your thoughts, your direction, your guidance, that your grace, again, would provide the outcome. Thank you for the awesome privilege that I have to stand before your people, this community, with your word. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ, they all said, they all said, they all said, indeed, uh, One of the points I'm going to make today, which I'm calling the main point, and I'll mention it more than once during the message today, to live in harmony with one another's non-essential differences, we must learn to demonstrate love in a spirit of humility and mutual edification for the glory of God. To live in harmony with one's, one another's non-essential, notice, non-essential differences, we must learn to demonstrate love in a spirit of humility and mutual edification for the glory of God. I'm going to come back and unpack that a little bit later on and kind of get into that because I think that when you talk about this topic of judging or judgmental attitude or judgmentalism, it creates some challenges for us, all of us. All of us are faced with this. One of the things I, I realized as I was preparing for this message, it occurred to me that, that I, I, I was dumbfounded how much I was judging and didn't even realize it. We're constantly judging, some good, some bad, but most of the time our judgments are nitpicking judgments. And I was somewhat frustrated because it would happen so quickly sometimes. I'd be at a coffee shop or I'd be uh, driving in the car or I'd be at work. This is over the last couple of weeks or so, and I had to find myself making a snap judgment. So we're going to talk about how do we handle that and what do we do with that. Before I get there, let me first go back to, we're, gonna, we're going to be wrapping this whole Romans road up. And I have the privilege of, again, closing it out for next Sunday. 
In the first 11 chapters of Roman, Paul unpacks what he calls it, this, this new vision, this, this new vision of God's righteousness. And so for the first 11 chapters of Romans, you're into this doctrinal, all this stuff that basically says that there is, here's a new vision of God's righteousness, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is the righteous one, the one whom God has sent forth. Galatians 4, uh, 4, 4, Paul talks about for this time, God sent forth a son. And that vision of righteousness has been manifested for us. The believer's righteousness in that whole 11 chapters, it's, it's in there. It's this conversation of justification, the believer's righteousness that seems to have a vertical and a horizontal aspect to it. Our connection with the righteous one, Jesus Christ, is the, is, is, is the vertical connection. But then our connection is expanded because we connect horizontally with those who are in the household of God, those who are believers in Christ. We're connected as family on the horizontal sense. We have been baptized into Christ. Paul talks about it in the sixth chapter of Romans. We've been baptized into Christ. That means that we are now connected with him. And so with symbolically his death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. We have been resurrected to a new life in Christ. We've embarked on this newness of life journey. In those first 11 chapters, and Paul lays out the doctrine, which is the very foundation for everything we as Christians believe. It is the, it's a, it's a synchronon. It is the essential piece of everything. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you have no other scriptures to read, the book of Romans sets the stage for everything. And now Paul does something interesting. Because in chapters 12, all the way to chapter 15, he's going to talk about this new journey and the ramifications in the horizontal sense. Interpersonal relationships. Stay with me now. He's already dealt with this relationship, the relationship with God. I have said to you before, I'll say it again. We have been put right so that we can put right the world. God has justified us. He has given us a new place. We've been connected to his family. We are now moving into a place of a relationship with God. But part of that, part of that, that, that newness of life is, 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 is our connection on a horizontal sense with those that are on this journey with us. If I were to use a different image, if I were to use the image of dance, that, that we have been invited into this dance of righteousness. And God, as the divine choreographer, has revealed this dance through his son. And his son is the master dancer. And we have been invited to follow his moves because he makes the right moves as we do this dance. That's what being a disciple of Christ is about. We follow our master dancer. We move when he moves. 
we imitate his moves. We become the very expression of God's glory because now we are instruments of God's righteousness. And so that means in our relationship with each other, we, 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 we cannot escape the fact that this dance is now on a horizontal sense and we find ourselves at times out of step to the beat. And the reason we find ourselves out of step is because we find ourselves at odds with near our differences. We disagree with one another. And we've learned to be very subtle about this because it's kind of a thing we don't talk about. We're constantly making snap judgments. We don't like it if somebody wears a certain outfit to, to church. Why would he wear that? Why would she wear that? That's not what you wear in God's house. Oh, I don't go to that church because I don't like the music that they play. They have guitars and drums and and, and God's holy house should be more about hymns, more worshipful music. I don't think you can be a Christian and drive that kind of expensive car. What are they doing with their money? How can they take those trips and do all of that stuff and still be in the church of God? How can she wear that kind of a diamond? We're constantly making judgments. And the problem with it is when we make those judgments, I believe, and I I would support this with scriptural evidence that it has ramifications far beyond the text that we're talking about. Because when I first started looking at this text, right away I went to this place of, why is Paul in this doctrinal mode for the first 11 chapters and then he starts talking about vegetables and, and meat and, 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 and drink and wine? And it, it, where did that come from? Why would he devote the whole chapter to this in chapter 14? Talks about the, this whole thing about uh, a day, are you worshiping one day, esteeming one day over another day. Where does that come from? And I believe that it has to do with the fact that we judge. And when Paul talks about this horizontal relationship, he describes these horizontal relationships. He's speaking about how we judge, how we judge. Let me read for you the text this morning. We're going to look at chapter 14 of Romans. And I'm going to unpack, I'm going to look at just verses 10 through 13, but I'm going to jump around throughout chapter 14 and chapter 15 because in context, you have to get the feel of what's going on here in the context. Chapter 14 Verse 10 through 13. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? It's kind of a rhetorical kind of question there. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, and his quote is from Isaiah 45, verse 23. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide. Interesting, because in the Greek language, there's a play on the word there, judgment, pass judgment, and rather decide. And we're going to talk about how we understand judgment. Never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. That's a real important piece that I'll come back to a little bit later because I believe that when you move into this place where you're judging, potentially it has some eternal ramifications. Please hear this because this is extremely important. When I saw this and it hit me, I said, oh, my God. When you judge, in effect, you are usurping God's authority. When you judge, especially when it's not a righteous judgment, you have usurped God's authority. In effect, what you're saying is, I know better than you, God. I can read the heart of that person. I can read their motives. I know all about why they do that or why they did that. The judge, judge, there's a Greek word, krino, And it is almost exclusively used throughout the New Testament over a hundred different times with reference to legal proceedings. Watch this now. Now, there are other contexts where it has to do with to make a firm decision. But most of the time, it's this whole legal proceedings conversation. The act of crino, judge, means to sit as a magistrate In a trial setting, it means to be given the authority and legal authorization to judge someone as being guilty or innocent. When someone acts as a judge, they hear arguments of the defense and the prosecution. They review the law and then they proclaim a person is either guilty or innocent. And so when... We judge, watch this, we are effectively putting ourselves in a place of being the judge. And effectively, what we're really saying is that we have all the information. We have all the information to make a call on it. And we do a snap judgment. You might say, well, Pastor Ali, I remember reading in 1 Corinthians 5, somewhere around verse 12, it says something about we can judge. Because it says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So if that's true, is Paul talking out of both sides of his mouth then? Here, Jesus says in Matthew 7, those first couple verses, there's a whole conversation about judging. Judge not, lest you be judged. And then Paul is now saying, well, inside the church, uh, you you judge inside the church. And then now, Pastor Ali, you're standing up there saying that Paul is saying that you don't judge. Which is it? It is not judging someone to exercise discernment about ungodly behavior or false teaching. See, that's righteous judgment. When you are judging someone according to the word of God, ungodly behavior or false teaching, we're okay to do that. Caution, though. Watch it. When you do that, be very, very careful. You may be able to do that, 
But be careful that you don't move into that place where you end up making a judgment call and you are looking at the what in the other one's eye? The speck in your brother or sister's eye and you've got this huge log in your own eye. That's the danger. You see, to be a judge, to make a call on something like that in our context, you've got to make sure that your stuff is together, that that, that you don't have any issues in your own life. And most of us, that is not the case. I know it's not the case with me. So what do you need? You need, we need a spirit informed discernment. That's 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 a key piece, a spirit infirm, a spirit informed discernment. People with a beam in the eye have kind of a distorted perspective. When you've got a beam in the eye, you don't really see like you need to see. And that's not an informed discernment. To live in harmony with one another's non-essential differences, we must learn to demonstrate love in a spirit of humility and mutual edification for the glory of God. A judgmental spirit is not value-added to the kingdom of God. I believe that we're always making judgments. Like I said to you a couple, a couple weeks back, I, I've been dealing with this because I caught myself. And even when I caught myself doing that, I said, what the heck am I doing? I've got to preach about this, and here I am. I'm, I'm doing the very thing that I'm going to be preaching about. And it forced me to get back on my knees and take a good look and make sure that, 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 that I, I, I'm being proactive here. What are you doing, Pastor Ali? How do you address it? One of the things I'm doing is I'm making sure that when it happens, that immediately I call it. God, help me to get this right. God, I'm I'm making a snap judgment here. It's not a spirit-informed, discerning judgment. It's a judgment based on my own puny, pitiful biases. I don't have all the information, but I quickly made a judgment call. Forgive me, God. So most of it, as you can imagine, is confessional. You're crying out to God, God, forgive me. Terry D. Cooper, who wrote a book called Making Judgments About Being Judgmental, had some helpful pieces, and I want to use those this morning and mention those. She mentions a a list of things, but I've just pulled out four. Uh, uh, In in becoming becoming a community of grace, and she used that phrase, and I like that phrase, to be able to move out of that place where we're constantly making these judgments and we don't have spirit-informed, discerning judgments. She says you have to become a community of grace. And I believe that's a key piece for us in terms of keeping us out of this place where we're making judgments and we don't have the whole story. There needs to be a piece of grace there because there's something about God's grace and his mercy that's always operating because mercy is better than judgment. James was saying. So here's the four things. Becoming a community of grace 
helps us to provide a healthy vision for of growth and spiritual development versus judgmental thinking. In other words, a, a, a healthy vision looks at others and does not feed off of what's wrong, but looks at a positive way to deal with it, to look at that person. How, instead of looking at the negative and finding something wrong all the time, that critical judgmental spirit, why not begin to pray about something positive? A community of grace helps us to maintain a healthy awareness of our own struggles and shortcomings. Because in doing so, we find that there's a clear link between what? Between others' weaknesses and our awareness of our own weaknesses. One one of my pet, 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 pitifully pet judgments is that any time I came across a Christian person who drank hard liquor, Or smoked. Automatically, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, they're unspiritual. They're probably going to bust hell wide open. There's no way that you can be drinking hard liquor and all that stuff. And and, and I said, well, wait a minute. When when God brought that back to my mind, I said, "Why, why did I grab hold of that? What is going on there? And we're not talking about something a long time ago. This is something that just within the last couple of months, I, I, I made some quick judgments on people that I come in contact with. And it occurred to me that part of it was because of my own struggle with an alcoholic father. I've shared it before with this community. And, and, and my mother, he, here's the interesting thing. My, the struggle, my father in alcoholism made me have a disdain for those that drank hard liquor because I remember he drank that hard liquor. And I attributed that to a lot of the bad behavior. And so I carried that over into adulthood and said, yep, anybody, whether they're Christian or not, that drinks hard liquor, they're like, done. And then my mother, who passed away, bless her heart, she passed away because she started smoking to cope with the situation, and eventually died of lung cancer. Anybody that smoked as a Christian, as far as I'm saying, hey, you're done. See how you can make judgments based on your own failures, your own stuff that you've, the negative stuff that's been in your life. Sometimes our deepest area of pain is where the most, we are the most judgmental. Being a community of grace helps us to deliberately practice empathy. We understand others' feelings and we place ourselves in others' shoes. We understand people before criticizing the behavior. In other words, a lot of times we're making a snap judgment. We're criticizing. We're we're judgmental before we have all the pieces because we are already we've already been tried the case and we've already made the decision guilty. And what I'm saying is that some kind of way we've got to figure out how do we give the person the grace, the benefit of the doubt. And and, and step back for a moment and understand rather than criticize, understand the individual and stop criticizing the behavior. Now, if the behavior is anti-scripture, are we to say something? 
Yes, there is a way that you say something, but it's in love and humility with a sense of building the person up, not tearing them down. And then the last one she mentions is that hospitality, building this, becoming this community of grace helps us to offer hospitality. And I like this quote from Henry Nowen, the Dutch professor and priest, theologian. He made this quote, hospitality is not to change people, but offer to them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. Are you a person who can create the space for non-judgmental interaction for the kingdom, for the glory of God? By being a person who is not afraid to speak the truth, but can do it in such a way that God's grace comes through and it builds the person up rather than tears them down. To live in harmony with one another's non-essential differences, we must learn to demonstrate love in a spirit of humility and mutual edification for the glory of God. Everything is for the glory of God. In this horizontal relationship piece, it's for the glory of God. God desires us as people who claim to or profess to reflect his son. To do as his son did. I'm reminded of the story of the woman who had the questionable behavior in terms of her sexuality and stuff. And and she had heard that Jesus was going to be at the home of of a certain Pharisee. And they were trying to set Jesus up because he, he was into this place where preaching something that clearly they were against. So we're in the book of Luke. And so when Jesus came to this person's house, this Pharisee's house, this woman kind of stood behind him, came in, and, and, and she had this kind of weird thing going where she just, she, she was in a distraught place. And she started washing Jesus' feet. And using her hair to dry his feet. And what was interesting about that is, is, is it could have been a, the highlight of, of a newspaper because here he is, a Jewish man, and this, this female, this woman, is touching him and kissing him and <coughs> excuse me, letting her hair down and washing his feet. And the text says that one of the Pharisees, the host of the home, thought in his head, This is where it starts in this judgmental spirit. Thought in his head. Apparently he does not know who she is. Because everybody knew that she was a prostitute. And if he was any respectable rabbi, teacher of the law, then he wouldn't be letting a prostitute wash his feet with her hair. And Jesus addressed the issue as he always does. He talks about this parable about someone that owed a debt and someone who owed a lesser debt and who would be more grateful when the debt is forgiven. You see, I believe that people that are judgmental in spirit 
as Christians are individuals that ultimately don't understand what God has done for them. And there is a sense of ingratitude in a very strange way because effectively what we end up doing is we end up trying to be, we end up being self-righteous. And I know that's not where God wants us. Let me conclude with this. Romans 14, 10 to 12 says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. All of us one day will stand before God, every single one of us. And you will give an account. I will give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 takes, Paul makes the point again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us will receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ involves believers giving an account of their lives. And you and I have to be prepared to give an account for everything we say with our mouths. Take this away with you. One, God accepts those that we're quick to pass judgment since he already knows better than we, their hearts. Two, Christ's death and resurrection makes him Lord of all, even the weak. Three, We have family connections, all of us, because we are a part of God's household. There's not one of us that can dare make a judgment because we are not authorized as judge. And then four, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and give an account. So if you're in that place where you find yourself, this is a difficult place. It was a difficult place for me. And I know I'm not alone. Step back just for a moment. I challenge you and begin to stop and say to yourself, God, God, put your finger, touch me, touch me. Every time, every time I make that judgment, convict my heart, draw me back. And remind me of the grace that you've demonstrated in my life. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, O oh God, that you are the judge of all. And though you have given us as Christians of the household of God the honor of being able to make judgments based on your word. God, we tread carefully lest we find ourselves getting puffed up. Help us to understand what humility and grace and mercy looks like because clearly that is what your son modeled for us in that dance of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.